We are continuing our time together in Romans. Um, last week was an introduction to Romans, and we looked at Rome and Paul and this letter and really trying to understand um, what is going on and getting a good backdrop here. And one of the things that I'm just going to reiterate as a, as a brief review as we dive into chapter one this morning is um, looking at, at Paul's conversion from Saul to Paul and understanding um, who discipled him, who brought him up, and he was um, discipled by one of the greatest Pharisees of all, and understanding that and Saul's intent to be one of the greatest Pharisees, groomed in such a manner um, that he was on that course to continue to be a Pharisee of all Pharisees. Uh, but Jesus, uh, God, had different plans from him, for him. And as we looked at in Acts 9, uh, the road to Damascus, and, and how God interrupted those plans, and really looking at how Paul essentially went into Damascus as somebody who had great power, um, stature. Um, a lot of people looked up to him. Many feared him. Um, he uh, was in control of a lot of things. Um, as he went into Damascus, and then when he left Damascus, he had uh, no friends, essentially whatsoever, um, from his Jewish side. After his conversion, uh, we see that even Christians um, had a reluctancy to follow God's commands, ultimately to go and, and, and snatch up Saul and, and say, hey, you know, you're serving the Lord now, and, he, and, 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 and Saul knew that, and, and um, essentially uh, becoming Paul. And so it was very difficult for him um, in the beginning, understanding that uh, he went from a great man to essentially nothing. And, and we see that in and through God's Word constantly, that we need to really empty ourselves. We really need to become nothing to be something for Christ. And it's amazing how... Uh, how much God uses um, broken people, how much God uses people from no, um, uh, no great or famous background whatsoever. And uh, God uses who he wants to use. Um, as we looked at Paul's life and we looked at Rome and everything that was going on there, um, understanding that when Paul wrote this letter at this time, he had never even set foot in Rome uh, up to this point, and even though we will see later on in Romans that he had quite a few friends there. Um, but Paul knew this. Um, th this coined phrase um, was something that was around way before any of us, and all roads lead to Rome. All roads lead to Rome. But um, on the flip side of that, that coin, Paul also understood that everything goes out from Rome. And so even though the roads go in, the roads go out as well. And he knew that this was a uh, prime uh, real estate, so to speak, for the gospel. And we see how rich, um, how thorough, and how systematic Paul approaches this letter um, here in Romans. And so understanding that and looking into this, we began to, to have a better understanding of Paul's perspective. Not only that, but being such a Jewish um, 
a Jewish man as he was, a Pharisee, now being called to minister and witness to and save Gentiles, um, Paul was essentially prepared and set up for this throughout his whole life just because of his experience and his background, even from birth um, to where he was and location and so on and so forth. We see God's providence, God's hand on Paul from the very beginning. And Paul knew that and saw that later on in life as well. And so with that being said, we are going to look at the first part here in Romans chapter 1. And something that um, a lot of us, well, maybe not so much these days, is when we write a letter, we have a, a, a typical heading that we go off of, right? We, when we write a letter, and I don't, I don't even know if they teach that in schools anymore, letter writing. Um, they taught it when I was in school. Um, basically how to address it, right, dear so-and-so, but if it's more formal, you know, you have more of a formal setting, you want to date it, you have your prescript, you have your postscript, you have the body of the letter, the content, and it all depends on if you're writing to a friend, if you're writing to a colleague, if you're writing to a business or a corporation, it all depended on um, who and why and what you were writing. In the same way, we are going to see that here um, in this letter from, letter from Paul to Rome. And understanding that the majority of his letters start out the same way. There's another thing that we can clearly identify Paul's writings. Um, we'll get to that probably next week. We'll get to that passage. Um, and there's something that he always, uh, almost always puts in his letters as well. Um, but right now we're, we're going to see how this letter begins, how it starts, and moving forward, um, very quickly we're going to see Paul's intent, Paul's motive, and Paul's purpose. With that being said, let me pray, and then we will dive into our text this morning. Lord God, thank you for all that you've given us. Thank you for bringing us together during this time to study your word, to study this letter written by a great servant of yours, Lord. May our time together reflect the scriptures, reflect our faith in you, the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And may our time together be one of not only worship and honor, but one of conviction and change. We give this time to you, and we pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. That brings us to our text this morning, chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. If you're there, you can follow along as I read God's word. Romans chapter 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through, <clears throat> through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection 
from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Amen. We see very quickly in verse 1, and we, we, we briefly looked at verse 1 last week, but it says Paul, right? And so he, he identifies himself. But during this time, there's a lot of Pauls, okay? Um, it, it go, there's a lot of back and forth on how Saul got his name Paul. Was he renamed um, like Peter? Uh, was he... Uh, given this name after his conversion, um, m- many believe that this is more of his 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 Roman name Paul um, his, and his Jewish name Saul, and he had a multiple names, which is very common during this time. Um, but essentially, after his conversion, you see in the scriptures, we see in the text that he is referred to as Paul. Some believed he was renamed and say, you will no longer be called Saul, you will be Paul. And there's some texts we can go back and forth on some different things. We're not going to dive into that this morning. That's not really our focus, especially with the introduction such as this. But understanding that Paul, who was Saul, as he's writing these letters, especially to um, cities or towns or churches, he, he makes it very, very clear who he is. He makes it very clear who he is. Why? Because he doesn't want any confusion. And he also still has the um, stigma, I don't know if that's the right word to use, of him being a persecutor of the church. And so he's still dealing with that as well, especially to places that he hasn't been yet, such as Rome. So he immediately identifies himself, and we see... um, during this time period, an identification of who you are, who you're writing to, and so forth is right in the beginning, and we we get more of a a longer introduction, uh, a a prescript, so to speak, on a a formal letter writing to a certain extent, and we see who Paul's writing to and, and his purpose and everything, but he goes into really who he is, what is his purpose, right? Um, And essentially why he's writing this letter. Now, we're, we're looking here in the first six verses. We're gonna, there's so much in Romans. We're going to get into especially Romans 1. He dives in very, very quickly, but we get a, a glimpse of why Paul is writing this letter, specifically to Rome. Now, first he states his name, but then he claims and states some undisputable facts. He is a servant of Jesus Christ. It says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. We're going to stop there and look at that. And verse 1 is going to be, I have several pages of notes, I'll just let you know up front, of just on verse 1. There's so much in here. But something that we need to understand is how Paul introduces himself. Let's take a moment and look at the word servant. Okay? Servant. Now, in the Greek and translated into the Hebrew, it's doulos. Some of you have heard me use this word before and know what 
what it means, right? Doulos, okay? In the original text, this is what is used. I'm going to get into a little bit later why Paul chose this word, and he chose it in a Hebrew format versus a Greek format, and is, is, is very specific reasons why, but we'll get to that momentarily. So doulos means bond servant, but more literal translation is a bond slave, a bond slave. Um, basically, this is his first declaration and identification of who he is. He didn't say, it is I, Paul, who once was a great Pharisee, and now I'm a great apostle, and I came face to face with the almighty Jesus Christ and, you know, was very pompous and, and lifted himself up and very boastful. I was the last and the greatest of these to, to see Jesus Christ and um, the risen Savior. And, and this, this did not come from Paul. Paul did not have this stance. He did not position himself this way. This is not how Paul um, presented or introduced himself by any means. But the thing is, he introduces himself as a slave. One of the things that I, I always pondered about, and I, I began reading and understanding more as I looked at one of John MacArthur's books, Slave, and he goes into the word doulos and how in our westernized Christianity we've essentially done away with the word slave um, altogether and, and just because of some of our past and our history in our in our country and so on and so forth. But the thing is, is that as people living in the United States of America, we don't like to think of ourselves ever as a slave. We don't. And we have our own reasoning. We have our own purpose. Um, what I found very interesting about this word is, okay, here in America, we have negative, right, attachments to that word, and we don't like saying that word or, or having that word, whether it's pride or we don't want to give up ourselves or we don't want to feel like we don't have control. But when I went over to China and I, and I spent time with people in some of the underground churches there, under, they don't use it because it, it, it reminds them of communism. They're like, oh, we don't really use that word here. That Jesus is your master. He is your Lord. You belong to him. You are a slave to him. The, 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 even the term or the idea of lordship salvation to the Chinese church was a concept that was never taught to them. And it was interesting as I found myself speaking with many leaders um, over probably 10 to 12 different churches that I had met with my time there. Lordship salvation was not something that they taught. And I would say maybe one out of all the churches that I had met with had even heard of it. Reason being is because of the, the communistic government that is there and the suppression that they have and the persecution of the church. It, it reminds them of that state, so to speak. But as I began to have conversations with them and to, to share the gospel with them, specifically Romans chapter 10, and I said, look, this is what the scripture tells us. Regardless of who's above us, we belong to Christ. Do loss. We are bond servants, bond slaves to him. 
And I found myself in an interesting situation because I, I thought this would have been rejected, but it wasn't. It was something that was accepted. It was not something that was seen as negative, derogatory, any of that. They saw the scripture for what it was, and they respected and submitted to God's word, not some Westerner who came came in and started teaching things that they haven't heard before, but it, they saw it in God's word. Even though that kind of blew my mind, and I didn't really understand why no one would have taught them lordship salvation up to that point, beyond that, I, I come back to the States and I say, why do we struggle with that so much? If anybody should struggle with it, it should be these persecuted countries, these areas that are constantly persecuted for their faith. And here in the United States, we have so much freedom that the word slave is so scary to us. But why is that? Why are we so fearful of being a slave? And I think it has mainly a lot to do with our pride our pride. We don't want to think of not being in control of our own lives, of not being in control of our own lives. The world tells us that it's our life, it's our body, it's our decision, it's what we want, how we want it, so on and so forth, that it has nothing to do with us belonging to anything else. The world tells us so much that is contrary to God's word above and beyond the scriptures. It makes no sense. I feel that we have been programmed to a certain extent, even from birth, that we are to reject this idea. And I think this is why we have so much fear when it comes to the word slave. So here's a question. As we see Paul here in Chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. You can even put a slave, a bond slave of Christ Jesus. How do you introduce yourself? How do you introduce yourself? One of the things that um, I don't know if this is uh, a guilty pleasure or not, but I, I, I don't like always presenting myself um, to new people as a pastor. I, I just don't. Specifically to non-believers. I don't want them to feel they have to put on a, a show or act a certain way because I'm a pastor. And so I won't tell them. Um, recently, I was found myself um, in a situation where I was in a room for many hours and none of these people were believers. Um, it was interesting because the guy that I was talking to quite a bit he had so many tattoos. I mean, he was bald and his head was tattooed and neck and arms and everything. And, and I was hanging out with this guy and, you know, he's a, he's a pretty cool guy. And, and I, I was this close to saying, okay, where'd you do time? Because I was a correctional officer for a while. And, and, um, and as I talked to him, he never did any time. And so I'm glad I didn't ask that question. Um, but he had tattoos that signified to me okay, you belong or associate yourself with these people, right? And I, I have some, some background and training in that. Um, but with that being said is, you know, he was a, a hardworking guy and he just liked tattoos. He actually owned several tattoo shops um, and different things. And 
And as we were talking, there was another guy um, not too far from us, just maybe five or six feet from us. And he was doing something and he stopped and he goes, are you a cop? And, uh, and I started laughing. I go, no, I'm not a cop. He goes, kind of sound like a cop. And I go, okay. And he, I go, no, I'm not a cop. And uh, he goes, well, what do you do? And I go, oh, you really want to know what I do? And he goes, yeah. And he go, well, I'm a pastor. And he like stopped everything he was doing and stood up and he goes, you're a what? And it's just crazy how when I tell people that I'm a pastor, they act completely different. The number one questions that they had for me was about how do you get paid? And so they wanted to know how I got paid and all these different, it was all about money. Um, and my assumption was that they probably had a bad experience in church at some point because as I talked to one of them, one of them had some church experience. Um, and so, but I, I, I did appreciate that um, they did not change how they talked. And so um, they could not get out of sentence without a curse word. Um, a lot of times people find out I'm a pastor, then all of a sudden if, if something slips out, they apologize to me like uh, I'm in control of their, their fate for some reason or their spiritual life. And, um, but my point is this, is for me, a lot of times how I introduce myself is dictated by who's in front of me. And it's the same way here with Paul. If you look at Paul's ministry, when he goes into to heathen areas, heathen towns, he doesn't come in and says, I, Paul, the great apostle for Jesus Christ, right? Or the, the, the slave, the servant, the bond servant for Jesus Christ. He doesn't do that. There's times that Paul says, I'm the Pharisee of Pharisees. There's time Paul goes in and he quotes, you know, a, 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 in our contextualized minds, a, a secular you know, person, a person of the world to relate with people. And then he goes into who he is and testimony and so on and so forth. But who is in front of Paul dictates how he addresses them and introduces himself. I don't know if that's the same way for you, but I think at some level as Christians, we need to have the discernment on who's in front of us. Because so many times, again, there's people that are lost and they have no idea of church. They have no idea who Jesus is. And they get in front of these people and we go and we're like, hey, I'm so-and-so and I'm a Christian. Do you know you've been washed by the blood of Jesus? And they're like, you're a freak. They have no idea what you're talking about. My point is this, is we need to have discernment as believers. But the thing is, on the other end of that, as we see Paul addressing the believers in Rome, he goes, look, I'm a slave to Christ. Have we ever thought about introducing ourselves that way? Actually, I shouldn't even say that. We should actually begin to look at our own lives and see how we need to live a life that reflects that. Next time you say, oh, I, I'm a servant. Are you? We've watered down that word so much as um, the book I was referencing by John MacArthur a couple minutes ago lays out why we are so offended by the word slave and our westernized minds and our westernized culture has almost all but done away with that word altogether. 
And in the scriptures, it has even contextualized into the word servant. The word doulos is essentially tucked away and watered down to where we don't want to be offended. We don't want people to think that God expects this, these things of them. But do we truly comprehend the scripture that tells us we've been bought for a price? And we no longer belong to ourselves, but belong to him. So how do you introduce yourself? Do you present yourself to others for the first time as a servant, as a believer, as a slave to Jesus Christ? As a brother, as a sister? How do you present yourself to non-believers? How do you introduce yourself? And how does that relate to how we see Paul introduce himself here? So most of the time for me, it's really dictated by who's in front of me. And Paul doesn't lift himself up here. He doesn't say, I'm this and I'm that. And he goes through his credentials. He, He doesn't do that at all. Actually, if anything... And this is the part that I was referring to earlier. He uses the Hebrew form of servant here or uh, 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 of bond slave, doulos. Now, why is that important? It's important because in the Greek form, it gives a negative tone to it, to where you are owned and you are suppressed and you are uh, uh, treated poorly and all these things, right? In the Greek form, it, it gives that. But Paul uses the Hebrew form here, and what that does is it changes. Reading it in the original language, it changes very drastically. For us, we don't see it much because of the contextualization in our westernized uh, uh, language of, of English here. But understanding this is, in the Hebrew form, it, 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 it's a bond slave by choice. We freely do what we are told. Does that make sense? That we are a bond slave by choice. And choice is not that, well, I chose to be saved or I choose to follow Jesus. Let me, let me define that more so we don't get confused because this is the gospel message at a whole nother layer. And I want us to truly see it for what it is, is we serve, we are servants, we are bond slaves to Christ because we want to. And we want to because we love him. It's because of our salvation. We have a desire. We have a desire to be slaves for Christ. And why is that? It's rooted in our salvation. Thing is, doulos is um, it's a slave that, that serves out of his own will, willingly, freely. It's almost as a sense of, it's not a, 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 a direct illustration, but as a slave would gain his freedom, the slave would be freed, but the slave would choose to stay with his master because 
how good the master was. And it's almost in a sense that we are freed from sin because of Christ. And we serve Christ because of out of our desire to worship, love, and honor him. How do you serve? How do you serve God? Do we do it willingly, freely, out of a desire of our heart to serve? Or we do it because we we have to. It's an expectation. It's a chore. As a pastor, one of the things that I look for is, okay, how are we putting forth our effort? Is it laborious? Is it something that is of inconvenience? Something that frustrates us? Or do we serve out of a desire to honor and please God? Do we freely and willingly serve God? And if that is the case, then then we're doing it with joy. We don't see it as an inconvenience. We don't see it as a burden. We see it as an honor to be able to serve God in this way. Whether it's cleaning something, setting up something, teaching the word, preparing food, whatever it may be, we see it as an honor and a blessing to serve in such a way. So do you serve God willingly, freely, and out of the desire of your heart? Paul goes on to state his position now. So he's Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. And it goes, called to be an apostle. Called to be an apostle. Now, he was called to do this. Now, he's, he's making this very clear that this isn't something that he positioned himself to be. This isn't something that he bought this title. Because during times like this, you can buy rank, you can buy title, Right? None of this was out of his own doing. This was all of God. God initiated this. God sent him. God prepared him. And God is in control. And he is going back to Paul, a what? Bond slave of Christ Jesus. This was all because of God. And he wanted to make sure that was clear. Then Paul states that his purpose, his role, his mission is to set apart For the what? For the gospel of God. So it goes, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. His sole purpose, his sole reason of God reaching down and plucking him him out of his what? Of his sin, of his death, of his destruction, of his eternity in hell was essentially for the gospel. That was his purpose. And you see that all throughout Paul's life, all throughout Paul's ministry. And we looked at the things that Paul went through on how he was shipwrecked, how he was abandoned out at sea, floating at sea, how he was beaten, whipped with rods, thrown out of the city, thought he was dead, arrested, all these things, wrongly accused, all these things. And Paul said, my purpose of being set apart is for the gospel. He wanted to make it clear to the people at Rome, his purpose 
It was nothing else. It was nothing selfish. It wasn't for any personal gain whatsoever. So we see that, that Paul, a bond slave, he was called and he was set apart. Bond slave, called and set apart. Why? For the gospel. Do you see your salvation as Paul did? Do you see your salvation the same way Paul does? Do you see that you're set apart for God? You're set apart for the gospel. We're going to get to that a little bit more later. But not for one second did Paul ever elevate himself. And the thing is, is this is a sad, a, a sad thing to even try to, to fathom. And I was even looking... I went on a tangent after my, my study and, and different things, and I, and I was looking at um, false prophets and, 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 and prosperity gospel preachers who, who essentially are wolves in sheep's clothing. And, and these, where we have gone is essentially the, the, there are Christians in leadership positions that are taking advantage of this, and they are essentially taking the church and, 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 and defiling the church with God's word and using it for their own personal gain. And the, can you, if you believe it or not, there are pastors out there with 10,000 square foot homes and, 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 and jet, private jets and private runways and Rolls Royce and Lamborghinis and all this stuff. And they, they said God has is, is blessed them because they're servants for God and then they are continuing to be blessed and the people need to continue to give them money. And I'm not going to get into to, to all of it, but there are so many pastors out there on YouTube, on the TV, and, and all social media that are doing this. And I just warn each and every one of you, don't be duped. Don't fall for this. You need to look for leaders in church to be like Paul. And don't, don't get me wrong, they're not, we're not all going to look like Paul. I don't always look like Paul. I don't always take on the disciplines that Paul does. And and I am I, a sinful man as well, and I have my shortcomings, and, and I have the things that I need to repent of, and I need to work on, and I need to continue um, to strive to be more like Christ, just like each and every one of us. But leaders in the church need to recognize their role as a bond slave to God. Ultimately, their roles, our role, my role, is for the work of the kingdom for his kingdom, not my own. What the world calls success has basically led so many believers astray or so-called believers. And it's unfortunate that so many gifted would be led astray. It would do us all well if we uh, basically started out each day acknowledging that we are bond slaves that we are servants to God? What if we woke up each morning, had that mentality, made that part of our prayer, that I am Raph, I'm Raphael, a servant of Christ Jesus, a bond slave to Christ Jesus. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Don't worry, we're almost to verse 2. I told you I had quite a bit of notes for verse 1. It'll go quicker. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse 21. 
says this, Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he, for he who, has, who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a slave of Christ. Mm. Verse 23, you were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So many times and times again, we allow the influence of men, their position, money they have, their fame, to influence us. One of the things that I, I never really like to do is um, whenever we'd go to Christian concerts or I was even part of a, a church and a committee that we would actually um, put together Christian concerts and stuff like that. And um, I got to meet um, several artists and stuff. And I, I didn't really care for taking pictures with them and getting their autograph. I just wanted to have a conversation with them. And um, and some people like, come on, let's go. We need to do this. Like, hey, to me, it doesn't matter. They're, they're sinners saved by grace just like I am. Just because they, they do this or they do that, it, that should have no influence on us. We should look for people who are like Paul, that have humbled themselves and understand that they are servants. That realizing all that they have is for the sake of the gospel. Is that more important to them than anything else? You understand, each and every one of us, if you are a believer this morning, that you've been bought for a price, and that price is Jesus on the cross. And we are slaves to him. Not because we have to, but because we want to. And we want to because of our salvation, because of the price that has been paid. It's amazing to think and to have this perspective in the same eyes or the same understanding or the same sight that God has for us. And this is why he gives us scriptures such as this. Let's continue on. If, if you haven't noticed already, there's no periods in all these verses. It just keeps going, going, and going. Some of you may think it's a run-on sentence, but Paul is giving this introduction, this prescript, and he, go, and he continues on by after saying he's, he's an apostle, and he's set apart for what? For the gospel, which should be the same for each and every one of us. And verse 2 says, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Now, something that we have to understand here um, is this. Paul is making it clear he's not bringing a new message. Okay, why? Because all of a sudden there's this focus on Paul. Why? Because he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, right? He was in the higher ranks of the, the Jewish religious 
uh, sect and culture, and all of a sudden he's changed and he's going this way. And they're like, wait a second, maybe Saul is trying to start his own thing. Maybe he's trying to break apart. Maybe he's trying to, you know, he's trying to do this rebellion because he has so much power now and so much status, right? And, and, and it's not that at all. Paul is making it very clear, especially to the Gentiles in Rome. Look, this is not a new message. This is something that was promised beforehand. I'm just being a vessel. I'm just being an obedient servant by bringing you this gospel. It has already been presented. It's the same message that Jesus taught. As he says there, Paul is servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God which he promised beforehand. Who promised beforehand? Christ Jesus, right? He promised beforehand. Through what? Through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Paul is making this very clear. Why? Because of his, his Jewish, his old Jewish friends and what they were saying and what they were thinking. Um, it's interesting because I don't really think they knew what to do with Paul. I don't really think they they knew what to do with Paul because at this point he's already been established. He's already been on uh, some of his journeys, establishing churches and preaching the gospel and going through different things. Remember, uh, more than likely he wrote um, the book of Romans after he wrote First and Second Corinthians, and he's in Corinth at this time writing this letter to to Rome. Um, But basically, Paul is set apart as a messenger for the gospel. I'm going to I'm going to take us through um, some uh, three different um, uh, pieces of scripture here to kind of show some of this. First, I want to show you what some of the his old Jewish friends were thinking over in Acts 21. Um, Here's a, a little brief glimpse of their response to what Paul was, uh, Paul was doing very early on. Um, Acts chapter, it should be up here, Acts chapter 21, verse 28. Okay, it says, crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place and so um they're they're uh paul is being arrested right or trying to arrest him so on and so forth but anyways they they're coming against him and they're saying these things but then let's turn to first peter chapter one and we're going to see how uh in first peter it's referenced of the gospel being prophesied and then we'll go to an Old Testament. There's so much more. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a, a, a list of references um, later on in a moment. But let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. It says, Conver- concerning this salvation, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. Searched and inquired carefully. Inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating 
when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Basically, he's um, here in First Peter, okay, he's saying, look, the, the gospel has been brought to you, and these are the, this is the true gospel, gospel of salvation of Jesus Christ, right? And these things have not only been prophesied, but they have already come true. They've been confirmed, right? These things, and it says, you can go very deep into the end of this um, passage here in verse 12 where it says, and the things into which angels long to look. Why? Because salvation is for us. It's not for angels. And we can, we can go off a tangent there. I'm, I'm not. We don't have time. But basically, we can see here, look, the prophecy was there. It has come. This is what it was. This is what it is. It's Christ. He was crucified. These things happened. He conquered, what, the grave, conquering death, conquering sin, he rose on the third day. He walked with us, right? Then he ascended into heaven, confirming all these prophecies. It has come true. Now let's look at an Old Testament reference in Deuteronomy 18. A prophecy of Jesus. And I'm just going to look at one verse and then we will continue to move on um, just so that we can have A little bit more of a reference and an understanding what Paul was referring to. 18 verse 15, it says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at, uh, at Horeb, on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord, my God, or see this great fire any more, lest I die. So we see there in verse 15 that the Lord, your God, will raise up for you. Prophet like me, this is a prophecy of the coming Christ. We can see throughout scripture and now remember paul has a pretty good handle on the old testament being the pharisee that he was and his references you know he could he could talk about these for days with anyone essentially but as we see here in verse two which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures a lot of us already know this, but Paul makes it clear here that he's not bringing a new gospel. This is the one, the true one, that has always been there and is was taught and seen in Christ Jesus. Let's move on to verses 3 and 4. Verse 3, you see it continues to go on. Concerning his son, so... See the prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David. 
according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So he gives even more support to this and identifying and confirming Christ is who he said he was, who he is, and who the prophecies said he was to be. He makes it very clear that the gospel is centered in God's Son, Jesus Christ. And God's Son is the reconciliation of basically what? Lost humanity. We are separated from God. We can go back into Genesis chapter 3 and we can see that fallen man, eternal separation from God, and his, uh, I don't want to say fixed, but his answer to that is and always has been Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus had, and he, and he shows this, he entered through a natural and a divine state. The natural state, he has bloodlines, right? And through that birth of Mary, okay, through this divine immaculate conception, his descent was understanding through this lineage of David. He was truly human um, with that bloodline, and it can be tracked back, but he was also 100% and truly God. Um, I think we're going to have it up there. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 gives us a lineage. We're just going to look at verse 1 briefly. Um, but this gives you a reference you can go back and look at. It, it's, it's really great, especially with uh, Christmas season approaching very rapidly. Um, we can see that, that lineage and the description and understanding to the birth of Christ. But in Matthew chapter 1 verse 1, it says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And we get a lineage here. Also, I got the next slide, I think, is several um, verses, passages that will uh, help you see in the Old Testament. Through that, you can write those down, okay? But Jesus is and always and has been the answer to sin. Jesus Christ is and always has been the answer to sin. And we see that all throughout Scripture, even going back to Genesis chapter 3 at the fall of man. We see it. It's right there. Okay, I'm not going to give you all these answers. It would be great for you to go and look into these and see. There's so much more that we can look at and dive in. We don't have time to, to go into all that study, so to speak. But Paul is making it very clear on who Jesus is. And that is the gospel in which he is bringing. If you have those written down, you can turn me to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. All the way at the end of 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 56, it says this. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. We see right here 
And, and right before that, we, there's a reference um, to that of, of, of Jesus essentially conquering death. And that's what Calvary was for. Basically, Paul is setting up the platform for the Roman people to, to, to enter and hear and enter into this letter of understanding that the gospel is it's foundational. It's the cornerstone. Jesus is at the very heart of this message. And what Jesus has done is he has basically freed us from the slave being slaves to sin. And being doulos, a bond slave to him. Why? Because as he's writing to the converts, to the church in Rome, he's saying, you don't have to live in sin anymore. You've been set free. Those chains have been broken. And we'll see very quickly in Romans chapter 1, Paul deals with that very quickly, and he separates the wheat from the chaff, the, 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 the goats from the sheep, so to speak, and saying, look, don't be distracted by all these living in sin over here. Don't be distracted by that. Don't question your faith. Don't question the scriptures. Don't question the teachings of Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. He conquered death. We saw it on Calvary. This is the message that I bring. This is the message that has already been brought to you. I'm confirming it. This is my sole purpose, is to, to, to live and breathe and serve God in this way for the gospel. And see, the thing is, is that we will see very quickly in Rome, in Rome, even though people maybe had a conversion or heard the word, they didn't always change their lives or submit to it. Jesus is and always has been the answer to sin. Let's move on to our last two verses in Romans chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Verse 5 says, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. This is where we receive grace. And that's the thing is everything that Paul is talking about is about grace, that undeserved favor, because you can't have anything else without grace first. And we're going to see that, I, th I think, a little more next week. We'll see how far we get. Um, but next week, we're going we're gonna to look into that a little bit more. But understanding that Paul is trying to help them understand, by the grace of God, I'm an apostle. So out of all this, he finally says, look, uh, by the grace of God, it's from God. I received it from God. I'm an apostle. I'm a messenger for Christ Jesus, for God. Now, Paul, 
in Paul's case, he, he understood that his apostleship gave him a role and a purpose and a standing, but the people he, were ta- he was talking to, they weren't all apostles. It was a very, very small percentage, actually, that were apostles, and his letter is not meant specifically just for apostles. We're going to see that here in a moment, but this applies to everyone. Where Paul says, though whom we have received grace and apostleship, and it could be applied um, for whom you have received grace and pastorship, grace and discipleship, grace and being a bond slave, being a servant. Thing is, is a lot of times at salvation, we rejoice and celebrate the fact of our salvation and the grace that we've received. But then as we go down the road, we then forget about the grace that we've received. Mercy and undeserved favor. Paul makes it very clear that this is for all of us. All of us. Why? He makes it very clear here. To bring about the obedience of faith. For what? For the sake of his name. Among all the nations. Sound familiar? To bring about obedience of faith. We've been saved by grace. And in that grace, we fall at some level, whether apostleship or pastorship, right? Or being a disciple, a bondservant, a bondslave for Christ. Why? So that what? We can what? Bring about obedience of faith in his name to all the nations. Turn with me to Matthew 28. I don't think I have that up there. Don't worry. Matthew 28 is not hard to find. It's at the end of Matthew. Matthew 28. A lot of us already know this. I like to make you go there. Okay. Matthew 28, the Great Commission, verse 19 says, All authority, Jesus is speaking, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that. If you have another translation, it might say, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We are vessels, we are bond slaves, we are servants of Christ Jesus for what? For the gospel. It doesn't matter where you are, it doesn't matter how old you are, it doesn't matter how new of a convert you are, okay? We are to proclaim, communicate, be messengers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Ultimately, teaching others to obey what we've been commanded. And as Paul says here, to bring about obedience of faith. To bring about obedience of faith. This is why I teach the way that I teach, is to help bring about obedience of faith. Why? Because we are so comfortable 
in our faith. Some of us are. We are so comfortable in our churches. We are so comfortable at home, and we love the fact that there's a pandemic going on because we get to stay at home. We don't have to wake up early or drive to church. We can wake up when we want. We can watch a service when we want. We can be in our pajamas. And this is why I challenge everyone to not do that. Why? Because it's out of convenience. It's not out of a, 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 an honor and a respect and a worship to God. Why? Because we desire it from our heart, going all the way back to the beginning of the message. Do we desire? Do we want? Do we freely go after the things that honor God as a bond slave, as a servant? Doulos. And Paul is simply stating here, look, this is, this is who I am. This is my purpose. This is my role. Not because I chose this, because God chose me. And in and through that, we need to understand by the grace and mercy and the salvation of Jesus Christ that this is all to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name, for the sake of Christ. It's for us to be obedient and bring out that obedience why? It's for Jesus Christ. It's not for Pastor Raph. It's not for Kaleo Community Church. It's not for any church. It's not for any pastor. It's for who? It's for Jesus Christ. That's why. And why is that so important? Because ultimately our salvation should be reflected in a way that we desire to want to honor God. We're going to look at that. We're going to close with that here in a moment. But it all comes down. It really comes back to... How do we see Christ? What are our desires? We must listen. We must listen and understand that a true saving faith will always produce obedience and submission to Jesus Christ. A true saving faith will always produce obedience and submission to Jesus Christ. It don't mean we won't push back. It don't mean we won't have shortcomings. It don't mean we won't have seasons of famine spiritually doesn't mean we're perfect but it means this a true saving faith will always produce obedience and submission to Jesus Christ at one point or another why because we must understand that faith is not an intellectual it's not an intellectual assent spiritually that's how we we spiritually mature is through intellect. And that's not it at all. It's the transforming and renewing of our minds and our hearts, ultimately sparking a fire within us of a desire to want to honor and please God in all that we say and do. It's not because we have to. Because we want to. We have a desire. We have a desire within to please and honor God. Turn with me to John chapter 14. It's a little bit left in your Bibles. John 14, and then we're just going to briefly skip over to 15. John 14, verse 23. Says this, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. 
Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Over and over again, we see passages such as this. We see teaching such as this directly from Christ himself. If you love me, keep my commands. If you love me, keep my commands. You see the whole thing about abide, abide, abide. And we're going to go to the end of that in, in chapter 15, going to verse 8. And in verse 8, it says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Do you, you see that? Verse 8, By this my Father is glorified. We glorify God by abiding in Him, letting Him take up residence in us, and we take up residence in Him, and we love Him, and we obey His commands, and we live out His commands. And it says, by this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. When's the last time you bore fruit? Seriously, ask yourself that question. Well, I read my Bible. That's not bearing fruit. Well, I prayed. That's not bearing fruit. Produce. To produce. Are we sharing the gospel? Are we, are we pouring into others? Are we sharing our faith? Are we living in a way that's going to impact others without us even knowing it? One of the, the reasons why I don't, and I, I think I very rarely introduce myself as pastor, is because I want my life to speak for itself. And, and, and that's not always the best thing because I'm not perfect. But if we have that understanding, that I, I want my life to speak for itself. And I want people to ask, well, why don't you do that? Or why this or why that? And I could tell him it's because of Christ. It's because of the grace and mercy and the faith that's within me. We see here in John 15, right? It's so clear. Bear much fruit and so prove. Prove to be my disciples. And we have gone around so much and like, don't judge my salvation. Don't judge my salvation. You don't know. You don't know. You're right. Ultimately, God knows. But we can see in and through Scripture that a life that does not produce fruit is no life in Christ at all. It's that simple. God gives us checks and balances. God gives us a filter to put things in and through. Jesus said it himself, produce fruit, prove, prove, be my disciples. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. So what? Abide in my love. Take up residence in my love. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Because it's, okay, I want to abide in your love, Jesus. How? How do I do that? And it's like right here, obey my commands. Obey my commands. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, 
just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Now, here's the thing. I, I, I look at this over and over because I'm really convicted by this because uh, I feel that I'm not the joyous person, okay? And, and the thing is, is that it's like, man, I feel like I, I obey his commands and I abide in him. And I was like, okay, I know I can do better. And it's not about doing more and doing more and doing more, but it's understanding that it says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. It doesn't say will be in you. It says it, it may. God knows, he understands that we may love him, we may submit to him, we may willingly be a bondservant and serve him, but sometimes we go through, through times that aren't joyous. Yes, our joy should be in the Lord. Yes, our, our, our joy should be this, and regardless of circumstances, we should have that joy. But Jesus himself understands that, look, even though you're doing all these things, we know you're going through times and it might not be a joyous time. But see, is that our purpose? To be joyous all the time? No, it's to be a bond slave. A lot of times we feel that, oh, because I don't have joy right now, we base our salvation on an emotion we base our producing fruit on an emotion, and that's not really the case. Yes, we find joy in Christ, and we may be in him and serving him, and then there still might be something that we're working out or God's working out in us, and we might not have the joy that we feel we should have that we see in the Scriptures. But we see here in, verse, in chapter 15, we need to produce fruit. We need to abide in him. Why? Because that's what we're called to do. Now, some may argue, it's like, well, maybe, you know, Paul's talking about the apostles. It's not just the apostles. It's not just about leaders in the church. Verse 6 clarifies that. It says, what here? Do that and go for the sake of his name among all the nations. Verse 6, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So if you are called to belong to Jesus Christ, then this includes you. This is just not this is not just for the apostles. This is not just for the church leadership. We're going to we're going to skip ahead in Rome Romans real quick, Romans chapter 8 and don't worry I'm going to we'll teach on this sometime next year. Uh, no guarantees. Uh, but Romans chapter 8 verse 28 I just want to give you a little glimpse of this real quick. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says this, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for what? For good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to what? To be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Don't worry. 
Be faithful. Serve God. Understand your purpose, being a bond slave to Christ Jesus, and go. And go. Why? Because God has a purpose with you, and it doesn't start and stop at your conversion. It doesn't start and stop at salvation. It begins, and more than likely, it began before you even knew it began. The thing is, is we see this justification, but not only that, the sanctification process of the transforming and renewing that's constantly going on in our lives or should be constantly going on in each and one of our lives is part of what God is doing in and through you because of Jesus Christ. He is the answer to our fallen state. We need to understand our purpose and our role. We see here, it makes it so clear on who Paul is, his role and his purpose. Is Paul a bond slave called, set apart for what? For the gospel, to bring obedience of faith. We can change a couple things there and personalize it. I can put my, my name there, Raph, a bond slave called, set apart for the gospel to bring obedience of faith. You can put your own name there, a bond slave called, set apart for the gospel to bring obedience of faith. Paul is so transparent. He is not holding anything back. He's making it very clear, very clear. The beginning of this letter of why, who, his purpose, and the rock and the foundation that all of that is set on, which is Christ Jesus. We're going to close with this. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. Just a little bit right. Galatians chapter 2. I'm just going to share one verse, and we'll close with that. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. In the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, here's the problem. We need to truly understand and see how we live. And are we living for ourselves or are we living for him? But Pastor Raph, I, 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 I work here or I do this or I'm going to school. It don't matter. Keep doing what you're doing. That's when he looked at that passage like, look, if you were a slave and you were saved, keep, keep doing what you're doing, but now you do it for God. Keep doing what you're doing. Unless God tells you different, keep being a doctor, keep being a garbage man, keep being a janitor, keep being an engineer, keep being this, keep being that. God saved you right where you are for a reason and a purpose. And until he tells you different, you just keep living for him. Don't get me wrong. There's some professions that are out there that, yes, maybe you should change your profession. Okay. 
you're doing something illegal or doing something contrary to the scriptures and that is not honoring God, absolutely. But we need to understand that we've been bought for a price. We need to truly understand the scriptures. And are we living for self or are we living for God? the more we can look at that and say, man, how am I going to live today? How am I going to live today? Am I going to be doulos, a bond slave? Or am I going to look like the world? We all have to answer that question each day that the Lord gives us. So may you understand the, the weight and the purpose and the reason of this essentially introduction of Paul here in Romans chapter 1 because he's going to get into some heavy stuff very quickly. And he is making it very clear, very clear of the purpose of this letter. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for all that you've given us. Thank you for your word. Lord, my prayer is that your scripture, your word would be the impact on our lives. Lord, forgive me if I've spoken anything apart from your word, if I've spoken anything from flesh, from my own personal desires. Forgive me, Lord. And I pray that everyone would see your word and your word only and begin to allow that seed to take root in their hearts that the gospel message is nothing new to them, I understand that, but in which we live our lives, we always need a steady reminder of why. Why you chose us. So Lord, may we truly be bond slaves to you above all else. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.